Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 14th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm joined here with Kenny, who is going to discuss with me whether being a social person is always a wise idea. Often, when children are growing up, we encourage them to make friends. Parents often schedule playdates, create birthday events, and often remain very concerned with how exactly their child is socializing in the world around them. When a child, for example, says that they have no friends, we often think that something is wrong and push them to join more clubs or just try a little bit harder in Little League. However, when that fails, we often seek the counsel of therapists and other experts in figuring out why exactly is it that our son or daughter isn't the life of the party. This fear extends into adulthood as we often judge ourselves based on how many friends we have or how many parties we've been invited to in the past year. We often assume that a person that is a loner is somehow defective and not right for this world and that if they would only change a number of things about them, they would fit in better. But what if being social isn't always such a good thing. Kenny, could you perhaps tell me your thoughts on how you view being social? Being social is generally seen as a good thing, but there are times when being social can be actually the opposite of what you want to do. Because most people who are social are often running away from something in that they are running away from questions. They're running away from being alone, existential dread. And so they want to buffer those feelings, those thoughts with the noise of, you know, conversation. They want to buffer those feelings and thoughts with the noise of music and people being around them and, and all that. Kenny, um, could you expand a little bit on existential dread? What exactly does that mean? Why am I here? What is the point of life? Ah. Who am I actually? What is going on? Do I wake up in the morning for the dollar bill or do I wake up in the morning for another reason? Do I actually live my life? And what does it mean to live my life? These are the kinds of questions that bring on this, these feelings of this terrifying feeling that you may not actually be living up to some potential. And there's always this weird feeling that there's something more to life. And with, with those feelings come questions. And with those questions come dread because we don't know what the answers to those questions are. You know, it's funny because I think that many human beings, the one thing that they cannot deal with the most is uncertainty. So would you mm. say that existential dread is like a, like a great, uh, form of uncertainty like we, we fear not being a, where our next job will come from and this kind of like existential dread is like fear of like life itself almost yeah I, I would say so I mean but there are those who have I mean for example there are those who have great jobs you know great partners great kids great hopes in the future but they still have these these internal questions that they don't really know how to address. And it, 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 may, it may still be uncertainty, but it's uncertainty about other things rather than the, rather than the everyday life, uh, everyday work, marriage, and, and relationships. It's, it's usually sometimes more metaphysical than that. 
So it's much deeper. It's why am I on this earth? What, what plan has God given me? Or am I like doing the right things with my life? It's like, it's much, it's much deeper than just finding like your next paycheck or finding your uh, next source of food. It's like, it, it's touching upon why exactly I'm here and what exactly I should be doing with myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even it's, it, it, it might be even, it might be more felt with those who are doing perfectly well. Because with those who aren't doing well, those who are looking for the job, those who don't have the money, those who don't have the girl, those who don't have the friends, they're looking for the money, the girl, the friends, and so forth. So they're busy doing things, you know? Ah. But those who have everything, everything, you know, everything their hearts could possibly desire, they have it, I mean, right there in their backyard. And they're wondering, why am I still so angsty? Why am I still so afraid? Or why am I still so unhappy? And you know, unfulfilled and so forth. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think like existential dread is sort of um, an affliction of the rich. Because like, if you're, if you're, if you're not that wealthy, and you have to go to work every day, and you're constantly busy, uh, trying to earn money, and you're constantly busy, you know, trying to get a girl or start a family and do all this other stuff, you don't necessarily have that time to wonder why it is that you're here. Yeah, you you don't. I mean, it's it's you know if 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 the uh, if you're hungry, you know if you if you're hungry, you're not you don't you don't you don't you don't give a crap about questions like you know who am I and what's going on. You know, you just want you just want to eat. You know, true. And so that's why a lot of you know a lot of people find that when they when they do lose their job or when they do leave that relationship, that these questions or these feelings begin to creep up, and they're you know and then they really want to they look for the next job and they look for the next um, the next girl or the next guy. And that's like a form of being social. People want to run to work so that they can like I I I knew someone who was like I really just want to get back into the office. Like he was like I just want to be social again. I just want to talk with coworkers again. It it may not even be like a bodily necessity to have that job, but we all strive to be in social communities. And that's kind of like a form of of not being content with being alone but needing to run into the next social interaction. And, yeah, this this is basically one of the first things that I noticed when I first came to the United States of America is that young people work hard. I mean, everybody was Could you just remind our listeners where you're from originally? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm originally from Nigeria, West Africa, and I moved to the United States when I was about 19 years old. And, um, and I realized that Americans work really hard. And the, the young, the youth in America work extremely hard as well. So you have kids working from the age of 14, 15, 16, and you're making, you know, good money. But from these young ages when they should be playing, and I don't get me wrong, I'm saying work is fine, but the right. amount of work being done here is phenomenal, you know? But where, where they should be playing and, you know, having fun, a lot of these kids end up working and this is, to them, this is what life is this is the only thing that stabilizes their um their being that's, you know that's that's interesting so i think maybe like during childhood it's probably important to have more to be more social and, and we're, we're going to touch upon that in a little bit um going back to this idea of existential dread though 
Uh, I, I remarked earlier that this was like an affliction or like a, a disease of the rich, so to speak, because they have the free time. Yeah. Thinking about that a little bit, though, there's so many people now that have like lost their jobs due to COVID and, and they're on, 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 on unemployment. So perhaps like this existential dread is now sweeping over swaths of the population that never were never never had this before because they were always too darn busy to think of it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been the case. I mean, um, I asked my wife a couple nights ago to look up exactly what's been going on with the suicide rates or, and how many people have been calling in. And you find that a lot of people have been calling in because they are, you know, they've, they've been feeling more depressed. They've been feeling more suicidal. They've been feeling more um, hopeless and stuff like that. One might say, okay, it's because we're living in a, in a, in a time of, you know, of a pandemic. Sure. Um, but sure. But that really may, that may be the case, but that, you know, that, may not be the case and here's here's why i would say that may not be the case is we know that the average american loves how you say loves the social engagements and loves to work and all that and yes the, there is there is even before the you know before the covid situation there has been there there has been situations where people end up killing themselves because they've lost their jobs or because they've lost you know some social standing or something like that the fact that people have to be at home right now it means that they don't they don't get as much social interactions they don't get as much social gatherings and they have to be alone with them, with themselves and with their thoughts and with their and with their fears and uh, and that that does drive people that does drive people pretty crazy I love that they have to be alone with their thoughts and their fears um, I, I think that was definitely a lot of people especially in March and April and 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 May perhaps where it's like really everyone had to kind of bunker in and the only people you probably saw were your family or your roommates or if you lived in a by yourself then it was probably just you all day <laughs> i'm wondering though why exactly people are afraid to be alone with their thoughts it's like do they think that they are like bad people inside do they think that they they don't want to think too deeply or are they scared that if they just sit alone and think too deeply they're going to discover something crazy or scary about themselves i'm i just can't wonder why it is i'll talk about my social behavior but definitely in the beginning i was definitely alone a lot more than i was uh prior to the pandemic but it's not something that scared me i i usually i'm very comfortable with my thoughts i'm wondering why this is like such a shock for most people why does it bring so much fear well, I think that people's thoughts usually accuse them. You know, we, we have more accusatory thoughts than we have excuse, you know, um, reassuring thoughts. The average person sits down, you know, five minutes alone. And the first thing they're hearing is, you know, they, they see someone walk past. And the first thing is, you know, they're prettier than me or they're more handsome or they're taller or they're this and that. And I'm not this. And you find that often a person's mind when, you know, when they really face it, is often against them. It's um, it's very self-destructive. Um, I would say that's one one of the reasons. Uh, another reason is yeah, we generally think we're good people. This is where my own view of humanity comes in. I'm very pessimistic on, on a on a you know when I when I look at humanity as you know as a whole, I'm pessimistic about humanity. But when I deal with individuals, I'm pretty optimistic. When I look at humanity as a whole, we often Same. think that we're good people. We think we're we we really think we're all that. But when push comes to shove, we really, we, many of us never realize this, but when push comes to shove, we, 
we find out that we are not as good as we thought we were, and that really bothers us. That's, that reminds me exactly the, the first conversation that I had with Roger with, if you were starving, you would definitely eat somebody or you would result uh, in cannibalism. And I, you know, I, I can be also a little bit negative at times, but I like what you said earlier about tr- liking individuals but not liking institutions. Like that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like I have lost faith in the government. I've lost faith in big corporations and any kind of monolith institution. But I still <laughs> like, like I, I still find myself like impressed by human beings on a daily basis. Like, like I, I, yeah. I can't, I can't like when I'm interacting with humans, especially in one-to-one settings, like when I'm talking to people at work, everyone's a vulture and everyone's cutthroat and trying to like, undo one another but when i'm talking to somebody and there's no stakes on the table it's just amazing level of generosity that i that i see from other people and that gives me hope it gives me hope that okay if human beings are like john locke says fundamentally good inside then perhaps there's hope in in changing the system yeah i i i i want to be as optimistic as that i really do um i think that people when you know when i so just like you when i meet individuals i'm pretty amazed at who they are you know like i mean just the average i i I once met a lady who looked incredibly plain and and i i don't mean this as as a slight to her it's just a descriptive she was there is nothing remarkable remarkable about this woman when you meet her but then she opens her mouth Sure. And she speaks. And I realized, my goodness, not only is she incredibly intelligent, but she's a movie buff. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> and she loves, you know? I love that. I love those kinds of surprises. <laughs> and then she introduces me to Kurosawa. She introduces me to um, films by, uh, oh, I forget, I forget his name, but some, some amazing films. And, 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 and you realize that, goodness, she, you know, she's, she's, she's a human being and she has a, she has a life, you know? And not just that, but now she's sharing her life with you. You know, that's, um, it's so funny you mentioned that story. Like in my time, I found like the people with like the nose rings and, and crazy tattoos and stuff. It's actually like the people that look very plain and are trying to fit in. Like I think that the, the people that are very weird on the inside or, or l- let's not, not use the word weird, but let's say a little eccentric. They're the ones yeah. that are outwardly trying to fit in. I'm like, yeah, I'm just here wearing a tie and I'm normal <laughs> like everyone else. And then it's the guy with the green hair that doesn't have any cool surprises. Any cool them. surprises. <laughs> no, that, that, I can see that. I can see See that it's it's true because you know it's like they they feel like they all so all their lives all their lives they've 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 been um eccentricities have been shut down or have gotten 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 them into too much trouble and so you find that they want to you know they want to start dressing up normal and being you know just want to fit in and so they don't stand out too much but when you get to know them you find that these guys are pretty darn weird you know but in a good way in a good way yeah you know? yeah and i find that too i'm always you know, and it's funny because it's like what we realize is that the people who stand out absolutely like they don't want to stand out. Like they're actually actively fighting to to look and appear normal. Like they they're doing yeah. everything in their power to do that, and it's it, it can be sometimes interesting to watch because they try so hard to fit in, but it's actually yeah. their uniqueness that you love about them. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's like uh, it's catch twenty two. The more you tr- you want to, I mean, most people want to be different. 
they want, I mean, not, I would say everybody wants to be different. Nobody wants to, no one wants to be that guy that says, yeah, I'm just a normal guy doing normal <laughs> things. No, no one wants to be that. Everyone wants, <laughs> everyone wants to be something unique, something beautiful, something wonderful. You know I mean? The whole thing, when you're a kid, it's how you're a snowflake. There's no, no one like you. It's cheesy, but it, there is a truth to it. Well, here's, uh, you know, well, here's, the, there are some times in life, though, that you don't want to stand out. And I think being a teenager is actually one of those times where you're, you know, if you're eccentric in any such way, you're going to become like a target for bullies. And I, I think, I, I think that like, it really depends if you speak to people, for example, that came from communist countries or something, if you were outspoken in any such way, you could be a um, pariah or like some kind of a victim to the secret police or something like that. So I, I think it all depends. Like I think in American culture, we have this vision of like some very unique adult who's doing something special, but it's only when those people become famous or they become a brand or they become recognized that we're yeah. like, wow, look how eccentric that dude is. But if we see some guy who's really eccentric and is, you know, living in poverty or something, we don't look up to that person. We're like, yeah, dude, you know, shave off your long beard and get a job and, and be like everyone else. So it, it, it's funny that, that we, reward successful outliers but then we don't reward the unsuccessful outliers yeah the the big difference is money money makes things sexy it's yes. just that simple you know two guys can be courting the same girl okay she's interested in only one of them they both do the exact same thing buy her flowers and send her chocolate right right one of them she says he's a stalker ew the other one he says he's so romantic the same <laughs> thing <laughs> but she has an interest in one right the other one she's not in any way interested in and so money makes us interested i like so yeah like money so so money can actually like if you have a lot of money then you can justify your quirkiness and you can like like when bill gates does something eccentric we're like whoa that's that's a part of his genius and then yeah. if we see like a homeless person doing something eccentric we're like well that's why he's homeless you know <laughs> it, 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 it it's just like it's this double standard where if we, like your your eccentric behavior has to be profitable in some way if it's not profitable yeah. or it doesn't lead to rockets and and cool computers we don't like you Exactly. It's, it's a very strange world, but it's the world we're living in. And it's, you find that it's affecting, you know, it, it affects the way we raise kids. It affects the, you know, our social, um, our social norms and our social standards. It affects the way we even interact with, um, with ourselves, because we don't take ourselves seriously until someone has, you know, a couple, couple weeks ago, I was talking to a friend about, you know, making, making an, a music album. And he was telling me that he felt like a fraud doing it because he wasn't, he wasn't Led, Led, Ze, um, Led, Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin yeah. He wasn't, you know, Guns N' Roses. Like, dude, those guys started like this, you know? They, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't born, you know, with, with the millions. They weren't born with the fame. They weren't born with the, um, with the, with the talents. I, would I say the, the accomplished talents? They, they had to start somewhere. And we find that we, are, we, we judge ourselves so harshly like that as well. And it also kills in a, innovation at a very 
infancy stage because what happens is that there's two types of people one type of person will start doing something eccentric or something that they're passionate about like like your friend who was actually trying to create music and then they'll get laughed at or ignored and sort of beaten down by everyone around them and then they could have produced led zeppelin quality music but yeah. because we sort of scorn them in the infancy of their career, they lost hope and they lost passion and they just decided to get some nine to five job and not do that. And now yeah. us as a society, we suffer. We suffer as a society because that person, we didn't, ha we didn't build the confidence up in that person uh, when they were in their infancy. And now we don't get to enjoy the fruits of their wonderful music. I call it soul killing. It's like it's, it's you, you kill their soul. You kill that 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 creative spark. That the inner huga. It's it's just gone. Why do you now? This this is this is actually making me kind of uh, pessimistic. Actually, I started off this conversation optimistic. <laughs> now 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 you're now you're winning me over to the pessimism. join the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kenny. I'm I'm getting there closer. So I have this thing of why when we see someone in our social circle that's brining you know that's shining very brightly why do we have this impulse or why do we have this urge to kind of throw shade on them like i'm wondering what is it is it jealousy is it fear like what what makes us say no 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 you're not going to be the next led zeppelin just just get in line with the rest of us folk here i think it's a bit of both i think it's a bit of jealousy it's a bit of it's a bit of fear because, you know, when it comes to the jealousy, I mean, human, we, often we don't like people getting ahead of us. Um, that's not always the case, but it's often the case. And then when it fear, because, I mean, what if, what if he fails? And you don't want to be the guy who encourages him to go try it and he fails. You know what I mean? You don't want, you don't, you don't want to have his, you know, um, quote, quote, unquote, blood on your hands. And so you, you want to just nip it in the bud so that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't come back to you. And so you find that you're making these decisions not based on the person. You're making a decision based on your own apprehensions. I want to talk mm -hmm. about the second thing you said, that like, if you encourage that person and then they fail, then you have blood on your hands. Yeah. But if you discourage, let's say you discourage that person and then they succeed, why don't you feel bad that you had blood on your hands because you tried to stop that great person? Like, I wonder why it is that we only look at it through one, one angle. Because discouragement to us is far more virtuous than encouragement. How so? So if he, if you stop him from, if you stop him from achieving what he was supposed to achieve, you've done the adult thing. It's adult. You know, you said, hey, listen, Jimmy, put down the guitar and here's a, here's a calculator. You're now an accountant, okay? It's, you, you've, done the, you've, you've helped him put on his big boy pants. This is, I mean, our world encourages this. We clap at this, right? When the, when the boy, boy man grows up. And so what, anything that looks like that is inherently good. So when a young man wants to be a guitarist, he says, hey, man, I really want to play the guitar and I want to be the next, you know, next uh, Jimi Hendrix. And you tell him, listen, man, you... I like your taste in music, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You say, listen, man, let me, let me bring you down to earth. Let me be the realistic friend here, okay? The chances of you making it as the next Jimi Hendrix is slim to none. So here is, you know, here's a, you know, a college book 
on um on 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 you know sociology or whatever go get a degree and then maybe afterwards you can you know be the next Jimi hendrix that's realistic but to look at him and say after he's told you i want to be the next Jimi hendrix and you say hey man that sounds incredible i'm 100 percent on board with this in fact here's some money go buy what you need to buy i hope you make it that seems almost irresponsible you know to us and to the to, to, to the general norm Here's my thing. I, I don't know why we can't necessarily have both. And, and it's like, I, you know, I, I was uh, a teacher for many years and I always said, I, I, I always gave this advice and I, I want to yeah. see if you think that this is fair-minded advice. I always said, do exactly what it is that you are passionate about. Theater, acting, writing, music, whatever it is, and do it very nicely and well it doesn't hurt to like have a backup plan. Like, okay, I'm still studying nursing on the side or something like that. Uh, you know, I'm taking some classes here and it's like, you can still attend that person's concerts. You can still read their short stories. You can still view their artwork and still like encourage them. And then you're just giving them like a second way. I don't know why it always has to be the extreme of like, put away that guitar and, and pick up that calculator. <laughs> like, I don't know why, why it has to be so absolute like that. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. We just make it that way. I mean, your, your, your students, one of the things that your students, you have no, no, you know, no skin in the game, right? I mean, I'm sure you care about your students. Right. And in fact, it's, but it's because you have no skin in the game that you might actually be able to care for them better. And I, I don't mean to slight parents or anything like that, but often parents have way too much skin in the game. For, for many, it's not, you're not looking at your child. You're looking at your child and what you want your child to be. You're looking at your child and what, you know, what grandma said last week about him. You know, there's too much information um, that we don't know how to parse out. And so what you find is that we, we, we end up living in our passions rather than in our, you know, with philosophical clarity. So parents or people are often, um, are often more informed about, so, more informed about their child by social, you know, social standards, their own personal dreams, family, family traditions and stuff like that. And it's, it just muddies the water to the point where you don't even see the kid anymore. All you're seeing is this, this potential for your, for your something, you know? That's, that's so beautiful, Kenny. Um, it's, it's, I, I think that we always have the cultural thing. Like I want, like, I think this whole idea in our culture of, I want to raise my kid and I want them to go to the Ivy league. That's like, you're not actually looking at your child at that point. Yeah. Because if you're just saying, I want my child to go to the Ivy league and do this, you stopped viewing your child as a human being or as some type of individual. You're yeah. seeing them, you're, you're just seeing them as a, a truck that, that is traveling across the country to get where you need them to be. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly it, man. And it's, it's, so, it's so weird. And it hurts so many kids. They go to college, they're unhappy. They graduate, they're unhappy. You know, and then, and then, they, then this unhappiness, they kind of, this, this is part, so to bring it back to the existential dread, this unhappiness haunts them for the rest of their life. It really does. And you find that they end up being very, so often very social people who don't want to deal with those kinds of questions. Like, why did I have to be a doctor? I didn't want to be a doctor. I wanted to dance for goodness. I want to dance, father. 
<laughs> I went to dance. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but still, you know, like, why did I end up being a doctor? Well, because you were forced to be a doctor. Why were you forced to be a doctor? Because, well, my parents or certain people had certain expectations on me. So I ended up being the, you know, the vehicle of the expectations of others. And that can shatter a human being. Yes, yes. The last five to 10 years of your life hasn't really been your life. It's been somebody else's life. Time you can never get back. And that's scary. And that, that, that is a huge argument for not being social. Because, yeah, I think parents have probably the largest impact on the road we travel in this world. Undoubtedly. Yeah. But it could come in the form of your significant other as well. Like, if, yeah. your, if your significant other believes that you need to be this prototype and you need to be this type of husband or you need to be this type of wife, then yeah. that also, that's another cage that you're now being locked into. Labels and isms. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, going back to childhood, and, and I guess this is where we all get messed up in some way, mm-hmm. right? You're a kid, and I, I think when you're in elementary school, mom and dad or whoever, grandma, grandpa, like your family is probably the primary influence. And then as a teacher, like I've noticed, the kid hits middle school, now the friends are way more influential than than any parent like every every kid is sweet up until like fourth grade and then once they hit middle school now it's what my friends think about me that matters yeah. the most and yeah. i think this is also another place where like we always blame oh it's the older adults that are killing our passion but it's also your friends mm. and i see so many kids that can be really nerdy and and they like certain things they they, they like to geek out on uh maybe anime they like to geek out on their drawings and all this other stuff but then they have to keep that on the down low because yeah. their social circle is going to be, oh man you're, you still play with pokemon cards or something like they're gonna completely destroy them because they're into that kind of like childish or passionate eccentric thing and i think yeah. that's a time where being alone, like I think, and teenagers do dumb things all the time. I think being alone as a teenager is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it is. So this is, this is my basic social um, foundation, my, my, my rules for, for, for social life. Okay. The, the first is be alone. The second thing is be with close friends only. And then be with anybody and everybody. But you need time. And you got to, alone, alone takes priority. Social, I mean, close, close and intimate friends comes up next. And I would say that's a good deal of your time. And then everybody and anybody, less but still important to have. The, uh, the aloneness is important because that's where you find out who you actually are. And that's where you find out who you actually are, what you, ha- what you like, what you dislike, what you... Um, what you affirm, what you reject. And without that, with, without being a full human being, you cannot function well in the other two categories. And so the, the being alone for the teenagers, and that, that time, that's, that, that teen, teen life is very important. That's, when, that's actually when you start asking those questions, who am I? You know, right. am I am I emo? Am I you know? These are superficial, but you know, am I a, am I a jock? Am I a, you know? Am I a nerd? Am I a geek? Like, who am I? And I think it's important that they be alone at those times. Yeah. Let's. I I like the Kenny system. So let's take a look at being alone. 
do you allocate alone time on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? Like how, how do you divide up? Okay. I need to spend 30% of my day alone. How do you, how do you do that? Kenny, tell me, tell me the ways. Okay. For me personally, I, it's a, you should construct it based on who you are. Okay. So personally, what I do is usually on a daily basis. And then I've I actually heard recently that uh, I watched a documentary with uh, with uh, of um, Bill Gates, and he does Think Week or something mm. like that, where he, you know, removes himself from um, from the rest of the world and goes to a small cabin somewhere and just spends his time thinking. So he takes a whole is it Think Week or Think Month? I think it's Think Week. So think Month. Whole... I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye everyone. I'm leaving to Bill. a cabin for a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so I think you know it's it's possible for for people to figure out exactly what works for them. And so I, I, I choose on a daily basis to, um, to, to work this out for me. Nice. Okay. So you have your three hours alone. I, I actually, I love my, my vehicle of escape right now, especially during COVID is bike rides. And I yeah. am so happy that the weather is nice that I can just escape alone and, and, and take a bike ride. I think that's awesome. Let's talk about your inner circle uh, of yeah. friends. And, and this is, this is something where I, I think having an inner circle of friends is important because you want people that you can trust and you can bounce ideas off of, and you want people that can give it to you straight because yeah. in the real world, no one's going to give it to you straight. And you might just be marching into the same wall over and over and over again. There does come a time, and this is a bounces back to a conversation that I had with Claire that what happens like how do you assess your inner circle because sometimes someone in that inner circle you may need a break from them like i'm wondering like how how you manage that inner circle because your inner circle changes it's not always the same uh, group of characters and sometimes you need to shuffle them around a little bit and sometimes you're like okay it looks like you're heading down a different path right now or a different journey and it looks like we need to split do you have any advice about that kenny how do, how do you manage your inner circle i think that the inner circle is incredibly important yes absolutely like these people can either make you or break you it's just it's that bad and so it's important that you not don't let people pick you into their inner circle. Oh, right? I, li- that I like that. You, you've got to pick the people you want around you. In that, um, and don't try and join an, another inner circle. Like if you're at work, if, you, if you're at work and you see that like all the girlfriends or something are doing that, and you know that you know, those people aren't me. Like we don't get it. Like yeah. I have nothing in common. You got bal- to just bounce out of that yeah you 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 have to because you don't you don't want to be you don't want to be in a situation where you cannot be yourself when you're pretend where you're pretending to be anything um that you actually aren't you know and so i would say that if you're in a situation where you have you know where you're you know your close and intimate friends aren't really that helpful and here's the thing you got to be careful because you can't say well they're just bad people no yeah they, they might be, but you yourself could also be, you know, a bad person yourself. So sure. figure it out according to your own conscience and according to your own honesty, you know, because there are friends, or should I say people who seem like friends, but they aren't actually friends. They just, they're not. And you want to really just remove yourself from that. You just got, you got to run away like your life depends on it because your inner life, your soul, your peace of mind 
actually does. You know? I love that, Kenny. I, th- that's beautiful. You're, you have to run away like they're lions chasing you. That's beautiful. Absolutely. And the other thing, the, the thing, the marker that I usually use when I know, when I know that I need to reevaluate my social circle is when I'm hanging out with these people, I'm very silent and I feel really alone. So I'm actually surra- like, I'm surrounded by these people at the bar or I'm surrounded by these people and I have nothing to say to them. They have nothing to say to me. Yeah. I, I'm like, if someone was looking on from the outside, they'd be like, yeah, that guy has friends. I see him standing next, but they're not really my friends. I'm not saying anything. And I, I'm just alone in my thoughts. I'm just sitting, standing here, sitting here. And there's, there yeah. happens to be people that are around me, but I'm alone. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, one of the, so one of the ways to, to be certain that, or should I say one of the, you know, a little, um, a little, key points of knowing if you're in the right place is let's just say you've known these people for you know a good amount of time because this doesn't work until you've actually known them is when you stop noticing that you're there yes 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 you know? yes and they and they stop noticing you as well and like they stop they, noticing yeah if you it, want it, to be silent together you can be silent together if you want to talk you talk and it just happens naturally and nobody nobody even thinks twice about it you know? it may not it, it may like people think that it's something really really terrible like oh my god these guys are about to rob a bank and i don't want to be a part of it but it just it, it just it could be that their interests are going in one direction and your interests are going in another direction and neither one of you is right or wrong like your friends exactly. are not are not in the right and you're in the wrong or you're in the right and they're in the wrong um it's just like you have to have these moments in your life where it's like it looks like i'm heading in this direction they're heading in that direction god bless them i wish them the best on their journeys but we've got to split ways here yeah i think c.s lewis once described friendship as people who are shoulder to shoulder looking at the same thing i like that wow and i think that's good that's good imagery well that's lewis looking at the same thing the same goals i love that kenny beautiful and then finally, we're in the, the final circle here. How do you interact with the rest of everyone else out there? So should I start making friends with people on the subway? <laughs> oh, that's the thing is that these ones, the, these people, the, the, one, the people in the rest in the other category, in the third category, which is everyone and everyone, every, everyone and anyone, you don't really have to be buddy buddies. You don't have to be close friends. And it, that could happen, but they're not. And that, so your own, your only mission, and it is a mission, trust me, man, it can be, is to love them. That's it. Because you don't, you, you don't expect any, you don't want to expect anything from just anyone and everyone. Sure. You're, you're going into the world saying, okay, how can I be of service to anyone and everyone? Who is sad that I can cheer up? Who is hungry that I can feed? Who is, you know, brokenhearted that I can, you know, mend up? Who, who, needs, a, who needs a friend today that I can be, a, you know, that I can be a helping hand to or whatever? So you've, you're, you already know yourself. You experience your, your, the interaction of yourself with other selves that you're close with in the inner circle. And now it's time for you to give, you know what I mean? Give to others that don't have the same things as you, that don't, you know, think the same way as you, that don't see things eye to eye as you do. It's just about them now. I love that. So it's almost as if when you're interacting with the rest of the world, you're, you're on a mission. It's like you're on yeah. a mission 24-7 of this person seems sad. I'm just going to listen to them for a few minutes and, and, and yeah. maybe get this out of them. I, I like that because 
it makes every like what well, I hear this a lot from people, but everyone's guilty of it is people say, I hate small talk. I, I hate small talk. I hate, I hate just talking about the weather and stuff. But yeah. if you're very purposeful and you're very meaningful with how you interact with strangers or just people outside of your immediate circle, you can actually have some very rich conversations. And yeah. from, from what I hear, you know, from my time, just, you know, maybe bar hopping when I was younger, people will, like strangers will open up to you way more than like, anyone close to you because they know they got nothing to lose. They know that they, they, they know that in an hour you're going to walk out of that bar and you're never going to see them again. So they'll actually get into the real deep stuff, what's going on on their chest because they can trust yeah. you because you really can't do anything to them. You don't know them. You don't know them. Yeah. Yeah. I had, had a weird experience a couple of nights ago. I, 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 my wife and I go on walks at midnight sometimes, but this night I decided to go alone because she was tired. Sure. And I go down, I go down to, you know, to the friendship square, we call it here. And it's midnight. And, you know, I see a group of guys walking towards me. And I'm thinking first, the, can you imagine first thought is, okay, get ready for a fight. That's the, that's the world I'm living in. Like what? Like, what? You know, like weird. I, like, so, um, and so, you know, they come to me and they do stop. They stop it. You know, they, they, they stop right where I'm sitting and they look at me and they say, hi. And then they start talking to me and they're all drunk. All, they're all yeah, yeah, yeah. His face drunk, right? Though that's and the right kind talking. of drunk, right? Like the happy <laughs> drunk. Like I want to be everyone's <laughs> friend drunk. <laughs> exactly. And you know, they, they're shaking my hand. One of them says, hey, man, can I pray for you? And I'm, I'm there. I'm there in, you know, in, in the middle of the night sitting down there having this, uh, these drunk guys pray for me. And it was just good, but it was lovely, you know? <laughs> that, that, those are the those are the positive and you know what what's funny is that if you read the news it's always like that story you just described we only hear about the negative story, version of that event we always yeah. hear like some guy was walking around at 1am and then he was a, yeah, assaulted by a group yes. of blah, blah. you know it's always it's always like the worst possible version of events but yeah. we never focus on you'll be walking alone and then you'll see something really funny or someone will say something nice to you. Yeah. I mean, think if you ask anybody, anybody say, hey, what would you what do you expect? What, 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 which one is more realistic? You wake up in the morning and you've got cancer or you woke up in the morning and you have a brand new car on your, you know, on, in your parking lot and you had no idea where it came from. Well, obviously, the cancer is more realistic for some reason we have a world that bad news is more believable than good news. That's you know? sad. Now, do you think that the bad news is more believable because there's like truth in that? Like it is just pro from a probability standpoint, like more bad things are going to happen to you in this world than good things. Or do, do you think that as human beings, we need to kind of recondition the way we view other human beings and how we view our perception of what's going on around us? I would say that it's it's definitely the latter. I would say we need we need to change that because I I truly believe, in spite of my pessimistic worldview, that more good things are happening in this world. I've been sitting across, you know, I've been sitting and and, and talking to you, and I've been sipping on coffee this whole time. Like that's that's a wonderful thing. You know what I mean? I get a chance to speak to another human being. I think we're so passive. Good good is so passive that we stop noticing it. Like you, you wake up in the morning. That's a good thing. 
you walk past a stranger, even if he or she didn't say hello, he or she didn't stab you. That's yeah, right. Good <laughs> so yeah, good good is very benign. It's like and we take it for granted. I, I think that's another thing, is that when something is good, we also we are, we're also very entitled creatures. So Absolutely. when we have good things happening to us, we're like, well, it's supposed to be that way. Like the, that, that, it's supposed to be that way. That 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 lady uh, at the cashier table, she was supposed to smile at me, and she was supposed to wish me a good day. Like that's I'm entitled to all these nice pleasantries. But if we actually put ourselves in check and say, you know, she probably didn't have to be that nice to me, but she was. Then we start really viewing the world in a as a much more magical place, and that's entirely perception. Yeah, and every every simple kind action becomes, you know, a, a, a grand gesture of you know of of mercy and the the gratitude you begin to feel, because you know that it's not it's not you're not entitled to it. People are right. doing this of their own choice, you know. And that's the thing about goodness: if choice is not involved. It cannot really be good. Yes, because you know? you're just compu- you're compelled. You know, the cashier or, or the Walmart greeter, they might be forced to smile at you. But yeah. you know where you can really test someone's, like, have you ever held the door open for somebody? And you didn't yeah. really have to. You held open the door. And there's people that will look you in the eyes and be like, thank you. And then there's yeah. these people that just walk through the door and they don't say thank you. And they think that that kind of goodness is just an entitlement. Like they think, yeah, people should just be opening the door for the me. Door. And yeah. I think that's a matter that right there is you can tell everything about a person right there if they thank yeah. you. Because that thank you person is like, wow, what a wonderful gentleman. He's opening the door for me. And then yeah. there's like, oh, I'm entitled to this goodness 24-7. Let's keep it rolling. My good man, it's 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 very interesting yeah i yeah yeah, yeah absolutely so to, to summarize our thoughts a little bit we, we we need a a balance between being social and being alone i think these things are important the last thing i kind of want to touch upon is how our society views loners or views people that kind of work alone this has actually happened to me a lot in the um in the workplace collaborate collaborate you got to collaborate we got dropbox and you got to share all these files with one another and do this and that and i'm like i'm perfectly capable of doing this on my own and i think better by myself we seem to live in a world where everything has to be group think group work uh group everything and if someone says thanks but no thanks I, i'm quite content sitting here but you know even even i hear like people writing tv shows they have to work with other people it's not enough for one guy to just close the door and 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 bust out a novel or bust out a screenplay by he needs like kind of the input of others how how why is it like how can we pivot society so we start looking at 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 the loner or the creative type as being an asset rather than something we have to fix for some reason the loner has the loner has a bad rap yes and because i mean when you when you when you watch films you know the loner is usually there are two types of loner in films okay there's the loner who is you know the lone ranger he is riding his horse he's a badass okay he can kill (laughs) four guys with a spoon okay (laughs) with a spoon i love it And, and and that's one kind of loner. That's that's the one kind of loner. And the second loner is the guy who like, who's sitting Ted Kaczynski. You know, he's in a forest somewhere, yeah, and shipping off bombs to anywhere and everywhere. You know, just trying to hurt people. Okay, well, 
The latter is far more believable because of the world we're living in. Bad news, believable. Stranger, strangers, um, strangers are most like um, a stranger is most likely to hurt you than to you know I don't know to be a wonderful can, person, right? Yeah, be a wonderful person. So I think the, the loners have a bad rap today because I mean, especially now with you know we've we've had a spike. Or, um, or should I say a, a frequency in um, school shootings? And uh, should I say just really, because it hasn't just been schools, it's just been, you know, shootings. And you find yeah, a lot of, of these guys end up being loners. And so we have a very negative view of what it means to be a loner. Now, at the same time, when it comes to, you know, collaboration, this is where it gets weird. Because I think people... People want to look like they're connecting. Here's the thing. They don't really want to connect. They want to look like they're connecting. So the boss comes in, you know, uh, the, the boss you know, calls a meeting, right? And he says, okay, everybody, here's a hula hoop, all right? We're all going to move this hula hoop in a circle while chanting this wonderful mantra, I've been in those, yeah, I've been in those like hippie workplaces before. Yeah, you know, and and it's like, okay, okay, here's the difference. I I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to get us all together, trying to get us all, you know, um, in sync, trying to get us all to care for one another, understand that we're part of a team to work well together. But that's weird because what you're doing is you're doing it artificially. Yes. What you're saying is because we are together in this holding this hula hoop and chanting this mantra and a stranger looking out from looking in from the outside will say, what a beautiful picture of community. (laughs) It must be community. You know, no, it's not community because our hearts haven't changed. Our, our innermost, our, our, our psyches are the way we look at the world, the way we look at these people around us really hasn't changed. And so you find that, we, we want to have these really good community, picturesque, movie-esque situations going on in our lives, but we're removing the very foundation of that, which is, in fact, individuality. Because choice, if people don't choose to come together, they're not really coming together. Yes, yes. And if they're not individuals looking at each other, self-sufficient individuals looking at each other and saying, I want to work with you, which is a great compliment. When a person is fully themselves, when a person is a, when a person is, when a, when a woman is a woman and a man is a man and they look at each other and say, I pick you, that's a great compliment because she could have picked anybody. He could have picked anybody, but it shows each other. Right? So if, as long as it's not an arranged marriage or something. As long as, <laughs> you know, sometimes those work out, but yeah. Um, um, so you find that they are taken by taking away the individuality or that, should I say that, that loner like loner, like quality of those people, they're actually stopping the actual connection that's supposed to be made. That's that that is that is a great explanation. You know, because I've actually been in those situations where I had to hold the, the ring or something with other people, 
And it's, it's like, I'm, I, would, I was just saying in my head the entire time, I'm just sitting here smiling because I know if I don't smile and I say, I want to sit over there, I'm going to get fired. So I, I, yeah. I was literally just being forced to like pretend to get along with these people. And that's so, it's not genuine at all. I think that people that want to work together will naturally seek each other out. And, you know, in every school I've worked at, let's say they were 40 teachers in that school. Now yeah. I wasn't a complete like, get out of my office. Don't even look at me. But I found like my five or six people that I like talking to. And, yeah. you know, it's not that I hated everyone else, although there were some people that I'm like, uh, just please get away from me. But yeah. most people were in the middle. And then I had my five or six people that I'm like, okay, we're totally on the same wavelength here. And I want to work with you and I want to talk with you. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that at all. I think that's perfectly mm -hmm. natural because it's perfectly fine to want to work with the people that you want to work with. You don't have to like everybody and we, we gotta, as a society, just get over this stigma of you have to be super agreeable and super flexible because to a certain degree, when you become ultra flexible, you are compromising who you are as an individual. Like you can have, like if you work with 40 people and you're friends with five of those people, you can still maintain 95% of your individuality. You know, you're not going to be a hundred percent like walking around the office in your underwear individual, but you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're going to be pretty much who you are, give or take a few things. But if you have to change who you are to such a degree that everyone in that office likes you, you've stopped being a person. Yeah, I mean, one, uh, I, I can't remember who said it was a song I was listening to a couple, couple months back. And he said that, um, we often replace, I believe it's kindness with something along with kindness with agree, agreeability, something like that. In that the person who's smiling and nodding and saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, isn't really kind. They're just being a yes man. And that's not really, that's not the kind of person you want in your team because you say, well, I'm going to drive this bus off a clip. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> like that's... <laughs> You don't want that person on your team. You want people who are kind enough to say, I know you really want to do this, but let's, let's, look, at the, uh, let's look at the consequences, okay? You know, a person who will actually be honest with you. Um, well, you find that in the work situation today, that's not really what people are looking for. They're looking for the yes men, but not in a sense, of course. Or team player, team player. Team player. Yeah. You know, it, we, we dress it up in very different, you know, very, in a, in a, in a more agreeable way. You know, because nobody wants to hear yes men anymore. But yeah, team player is a perfectly, a perfectly wonderful way of saying that. I, I see no difference between the yes man and the team player because you ultimately want people on your team that are going to get the bus where it needs to be and not just sit there and watch the bus go off the cliff. And yeah. oftentimes when somebody speaks out and says, hey, this bus is going off a cliff they're actually just labeled as being negative. Like, oh, yeah. you're negative. You're not a team player. And I'm like, hey, I'm here trying to save everyone's life. That doesn't make yeah. me negative. That makes me the one sane person on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in the words of Jules from Pulp Fiction, if my answers scare you, cease asking scary questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, it's not, it's not negative. It's not, these are not negative things. This is just, um, we don't, 
sometimes even the truth is looked at as like and as i love the name of your podcast by the way it's wonderful truth island yeah truth island and the, the truth is often looked at as something negative this you know it's something if it if it hurts it must be negative if it's disturbing in any way if it makes me uncomfortable if it makes me think if it makes me flustered it it must be negative and therefore it cannot be truth yes yes and a lot of truth comes from loners and i think i think when we start evaluating the truth and because socrates was the ultimate loner right like he oh, yeah. he he was the ultimate loner but look how much truth came out of there so i i think that when we start i think society is going to be going in a much more positive direction when we once again start valuing the loner how does that sound kenny I think that sounds lovely. I think that sounds true. I mean, it, I mean, it, I think it is true in the fact that I would even say that people should, everybody should aspire to be a loner to some extent. You know what I mean? We need to, we all need that time to think. We all need that time to feel what we actually feel. We all need that time to ask questions. We all need that time to breathe. Many of us need that time to pray for those who believe in a God. You know what I mean? So, um, the, the, uh, the, the, the quality of the aloneness is incredibly important important for the human condition absolutely i think i think that about does it kenny i thank you so much for being on the show today oh my goodness thank you aaron thank you for having me this concludes the 14th episode of the truth island podcast i'm aaron azrod please stay tuned for our next episode